still trying to get adjusted to things, and I've discovered that this works better for notes than paper. So, welcome. We're glad to have you at New Day. Welcome to the digital campus. Um, it's intuitively obvious I am not Pastor Aaron. I'm Gary Harrison, and I'm here today giving Pastor a break as they just got back from uh, a mission trip to Kenya. And uh, you will be, he is here, and you'll be hearing from him later, and he'll be leading us in communion. But it's my privilege to uh, open the word as we begin together today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 12, verse 8. We're going to look at that and some other scriptures today as we talk about spiritual gifts. Now, I um, was thinking about talking about missions this morning, but two things happened. Number one, you guys have a great grasp on missions. And I thought, I'm not sure that's necessarily what God wanted. And then secondly, he just impressed my, on my heart to do something different. And so the difference is we're going to talk about a related topic. We're going to talk about spiritual gifting. Now, um, that's an interesting topic, and I hope that we can bring some insights to it today that will be beneficial to you. Now, one of the things you need to know about my wife and I is uh, we're news junkies, right? We consume it in any form or any fashion. We subscribe to the London Times, okay? So we really get into this. Uh, but however, one particular approach we kind of like when it comes to news is the mixing of humor and news. For example, one of our favorite musical groups that's no longer but was, was a group called Capital Steps. And they did political satire set to songs from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And it is hilarious. If you've never heard them, go online and look for Capital Steps. Um, and they report that they formed as a group, they were capital staffers and assistants, because they were asked to run a Christmas program uh, on Capitol Hill one year. And when they were putting it together, uh, they had a really big problem. They said, on all of Capitol Hill, we couldn't find three wise men and a virgin. So we had to resort to um, some form of satire and song. One thing we especially like, though, is uh, an NPR program called Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Anybody ever listen to that? I see some hands. Good. Okay. Well, then you know the segment on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me called Not My Job. And that's where they bring in famous people <clears throat> and ask them three questions about a job totally unrelated to who they are. For example... A couple weeks ago, they had Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on. And since she was in the Treasury, they asked her three questions about treasure-free kind of stuff. In other words, three questions about antique roadshows and the treasures that people found there. Or just recently, they had multiple Grammy Award winner uh, and songwriter Jason Isbell. And they thought, okay, we're going to ask you three questions about London's Big Ben Bell in Parliament Tower. And as they said to him, it's not clock, is Bell. And so they ask him that. You know, sometimes I find we apply the same techniques to the church, taking perfectly willing people and plugging them into situations they are totally not fitted for and wondering why it doesn't work so well. Okay, you know, you search for volunteers and then you ask them the two key questions. Do you have a pulse? Do you love Jesus? All right, you're in. You're in the nursery, and you're never going to get out. Okay. Now, I know 
you do a number of inventories for your leaders, which I, is, is incredible. I, I talk about you guys to other churches, actually. And in those inventories, I know is spiritual gifting inventories, which is great. But I do want to take another look at this thing called spiritual gifts because the Church of Jesus Christ moves forward on the strength of gifted lay people, not, and I don't like the term, I've had it applied to me, and I guess it's true, not professional Christians like us. Or actually, as I like to kid some of the pinnacle colleagues who work with me who are lay people, and I'll often introduce them, say my board chairman, George Kilsdonk, I will just say, well, now, I'm paid to be good. George here, he's good for nothing. And, um, <clears throat> but there is some truth to that in that he is good because of the call of Christ. Spiritual gifts are funny things, you know? They're, they're kind of hard to pin down. And yet, Pastor Aaron's going to be talking about a mission trip uh, yeah, from in Kenya where people went and shared their gifting. And because they shared their gifting, lives were changed. So we want to look at that a little bit. They're a little hard to pin down. And as I suggest, uh, there are inventories to test about our personal wirings and such, uh, temperaments, personalities. That's a really, really good thing because they do measure an inborn and or trained inclination. For example, uh, I have an inventory called Strengths Finders that we used in Pinnacle, and it identifies your top signature strengths actually identifies like 32 strengths but especially your top five how god put you together my top strength is strategic a little wonder that i love to plan and i love to see how the systems interconnect uh for the cause of christ and and there are lots of spiritual gift inventories out there too there's networking there's shape there's a, a bunch of others and they're all good but one thing i have noticed in the church as i travel around and that is that we go to great lengths to identify our gifts, but not always translating the gifts into action that match the gifts. We're good at knowing the gifts, but not always doing the gifts. I've not seen it done well in many places. In fact, many churches pastor, uh, uh, practice that um, old rule of leadership. 20% of the members do 80% of the work, which then leads to that crucial next question, how do we get more out of the 20%? Okay, well, there's something wrong with that picture, right? So the New Testament says a lot about this whole subject. And I want to draw four key principles that I think will help us better get a handle on this topic and maybe even change personally how we view it. So um, the first principle is, there's no one list of gifts. I mean, have you ever thought about that? It's like the gifts are applied as the need arise. Now, that's kind of strange. Because frankly, if you want to go to a central teaching on God's moral laws of conduct, where might you go? Somebody say it. You know, you're thinking it. Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Okay, what about a central teaching on the work of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Where might you go? Galatians 5, in the fruit of the Spirit. Um, if you're looking for a major teaching on the relationship of God, Jesus, and Jesus' manhood as he was here, well, you go to Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, 
did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. So where do you go for the definitive passage on spiritual gifts? There isn't one. Really, there isn't one. And that's really remarkable when you consider that the New Testament wasn't even codified until the Synod of Hippo in A.D. 393, and then later on in the Council of Nicaea. Now, it was acknowledged and it was used, but the churches of the first and second century had only just a little bit of the picture, depending on whether they got a letter from Peter or Paul or James or John, and yet they did pretty well, didn't they? Because we're here today, 2,000-some-odd uh, years later. Well, how in the world did they function not having a list of gifts? Because you don't have to know your gift to use your gift. Now, Roman, I'm going to have to set this down for a minute. Romans 12 is as good a place to start as any, but it's only one of many passages. Let me just read it for you. For though uh, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of us, uh, by the way, pay attention to that. Let, uh, since we have uh, gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, according to uh, his serving. He who teaches, to his teaching. Or he who exhorts, to his exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You know, I think that's kind of neat. That's not the complete passage on gifts. That's just one passage. There is no one passage on gifts. And uh, that's an exciting concept when you start taking it apart. Now, for example, how many times do you know of a situation where a well-meaning kid or a grand kid gives grandpa or grandma an iPhone or an iPad, right? And after the Christmas, and they leave, and they look at the thing, and they pull it out, and their first question is, how do I turn this thing on? And then, how do I use it? By the way, here's an idea for you if you want to do an outreach. We did this over at Good News. It was pretty, pretty neat. Run a post-Christmas um, clinic for grandma got an iPad, and what do I do with it? It's really quite interesting. We had people show up that didn't know much about their devices, and we had the opportunity to coach them on their devices and at the same time tell them a little bit about Jesus. So, But that's not a problem with spiritual gifts. You don't have to know how to turn it on. You don't have to know, what do I do with this thing? And we'll see more of that in a minute, but the key takeaway from the first principle is that you don't have to know them to use them, if you understand them correctly. That's first principle. Second principle, gifts are given for the common good. Okay, so guys, have you ever made that hideous mistake of buying the little lady that nice iron 
or that vacuum cleaner as a Christmas gift, or heaven forbid, an anniversary gift. I'm here to tell you, you make that mistake only once. And yet, spiritual gifts are given exactly that way. They're not personal gifts to please. Here's another passage on the subject. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7 says, Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God, who works all things in all persons, but to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, isn't that neat? The entire Godhead is involved in spiritual gifting. They're, they're, they're given by the Spirit. They're organized by Jesus. They're applied by God. That suggests to me that God may think these things are kind of important. Well, that's because one of the meanings for common is to bring us all together. Now, when the gifts are at work, we become more unified. And if unity is lacking, it may be because the outworking of the Spirit is missing because we're not sharing common gifts that are meant to be shared. Another passage, 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11. For each of us has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards. Now, this is an important phrase. You might want to underline this. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. You know, you may have heard it said, maybe you've said it yourself. Where is God when I need him? I mean, it's often said by someone who is in great pain or in great need. Where is God when I need him? I heard that so many times after 9-11. You know, where is God in a situation like this? Where is God? Well, just look around you. That's where you'll find him. That's where you'll see God at work. I used to think God was messing with us, you know, and kind of shortchanging us. Not really a, appearing to us, especially at times of trial and tragedy. You know, this would be a perfect time to show up, God. But then I remembered something. We do have a track record for that. The last time he appeared to us in major form, bodily form, we killed him, okay? So God designed the church that we, together, become the skin of God for each other. We are told to serve each other's because we are the stewards of God's grace. Now, a steward is one who manages the property of another. We are stewards of God's grace, not for God, but for one another. And if you speak, you do so as speaking the very words of God. If you serve, you do so with the very strength of God. Boy, that's why a, a poorly said word can be so devastating to people. Uh, that's why Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. I, I don't know how many people I've encountered who have left the church because of woundedness 
from God's people. Somewhere our stewardship failed. This passage tells us we administer the manifold grace of God. Boy, just let that sink in for a minute. We administer the most precious gift of heaven to one another. Again, in Rome, back in Romans, Romans 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And you know what I read, if prophecy according to the proportion of his face. We, we sort of switched it around today in the church, I think. I find that we try to discover the presence of God in the majesty of his worship. And, and I heard the music this morning, and worship is going to be great. And that's wonderful. But what happens is churches keep trying to make worship increasingly spectacular and, uh, and in some places start adding fog machines and confetti cannons and they just go crazy, you know. And, and I want to tell you, if you're in a small church, that's a little hard to pull off, right? You know, if I, I pastored a small church, okay, so I'm not speaking of this church, I'm talking about my experience. If everything was in tune on a Sunday morning, I was pretty happy, actually. <laughs> so... But, you know, that's not where we discover the majesty of God biblically. Biblically, we discover God in the intimacy of serving one another because we are the local spigots of grace to one another. If you think about your spigot of grace to each other in this room, and it's harvested when we all come together and serve one another. By the way, that's why things like small groups are so important. And I hope every one of you is in a small group because that connects us and it facilitates this, this manifold stewardship of grace. In fact, I will make a statement that I can't take the time to defend, but I'll be happy to defend it if anybody wants to ask me about it afterwards. And that's simply this. God cannot bless you to the extent that he wants to bless you and work in you to the extent he wants to work, it, work with you if you are not connected to somebody else in some kind of a setting, be it a group or a, or a class or something, because you've, you're not in one of his channels of grace. And so by design, we minister grace to one another. And if we pull ourselves out of that, then we're going to miss that in our lives. So as you've been hearing me go through scriptures, there's no one list. It seems like the gifts are applied as the need arises and they they sort of just figured it out as it happened. Okay, that's significant. Gifts are given, secondly, again, for the common good. Thirdly, the purpose of the gift is to form Christ in us and in others. That may be kind of the center of this whole thing. Because I'm drawing a conclusion here, but I feel pretty good in doing it. If we're administering the manifold grace of God to each other, to what end? To what end is that? What is the purpose of a spiritual gift? Is it just to serve each other? It's a very nice thing, mind you, but there's more to that. Is it just to make the body of Christ work more effectively together? That's true, and it's a great byproduct, but there's more to it than that. If you're familiar with the book of Galatians, I like what Paul did with the folks at Galatia. Now, here was a church that was struggling. They were founded under grace, and pretty soon the law keepers sort of slid in to the fellowship, and they started adding to grace. Now, now really, this grace thing is all well and good, but, 
you know, it's better if you observe the dietary laws of the Jews because, after all, we gave you Jesus, didn't we? And now, look, if you really, really love him, don't you think you ought to be circumcised? I mean, you'll always carry around the mark of your faith in him. And little by little, they were being pulled away from Jesus to Jesus plus something until Paul arrives. And Paul confronts the Judaizers, calls Peter out publicly, and shows through the scriptures where these interlopers are wrong. And he makes a, prom, uh, a statement in the process of all of that. <clears throat> Galatians 4.19. My children, with whom I am again in labor, until Christ is formed in you. You see, Paul was practicing his spiritual gift. He was an apostle. That was his gift. And in the applying of it, he was helping to form or reform, perhaps, Christ in them. And that makes sense if you think about it. We are stewards of the manifold gift, grace of God. And in using our gifts, we apply that grace to one another. And if we're living and serving and giving in grace, how can Christ not help but be formed in you and in me? And by applying our gifts, we form Christ in one another. We become more like Jesus. We knock the rough edges off. We encourage one another. We're transformed. Um, what I want you to take from this is simply this. Getting engaged in church is not simply about building up the church. It does that. It's about releasing God's grace in our midst and helping us be more like Christ. And that leads to the last principle. No one set lists, so we don't have to know our gifts to use our gifts. Gifts are given for the common good. The purpose of the gift is to form Christ in us and in others. And the last principle is, I think spiritual gifts are best discovered in action. You know, that's why I'm coming to the conclusion that spiritual gift inventories are not necessarily the best way to go into this whole area of spiritual gifting. Now, they're great tools. Please don't think I'm criticizing the use of them. They are wonderful tools. They help build an awareness of them. But I really think spiritual gifts are best discovered in action. For example, take the church at Corinth. It was a mess. Okay? They were shot through with sin, carnality, with conflict. They would throw a party before communion, and they would get drunk. And then they'd celebrate the Lord's table. But boy, they knew their gifts. The single biggest teaching on spiritual gifts is in 1 Corinthians. Now, it's mostly corrective because they knew their gifts and they were proud of it. And they were going to use them whether you liked it or not. So Paul had to sort it all out for them. And he draws the conclusion in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, each has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. The picture is, each person contributing to the good of the whole builds up the body of Christ in grace. 1 Corinthians 12, 24-27 says, But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to members which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another, and if members suffer, 
then all if one member suffers, then all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, then all the members rejoice. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. You see, in the New Testament church, there's no such thing as an observer. Each of us holds a small portion of God's grace and trust to be given out as the need arises. Now for some, it might well be a administered with a skill with a hammer and saw. For others, it might be the sharing of compassion through hospitality. For others, it might be a skill in leadership and teaching. But whatever it is, it is for all of us. So I think one of the ways we discover gifts is just by giving it a try and then listening for the body of Christ to talk to us about that. I'm a great component proponent of feedback. That's why what you do after this message is the best thing in the world and absolutely terrifying to preachers, right? You know, I stand up here and spend a few minutes talking about something, and I get to hear what you heard. I want to tell you that's hard, but that's how it's supposed to work. You know, I can tell you that I will never be asked to teach anyone under the age of nine in a church because I tried it a few times. And I did get feedback. But then again, I suppose the best way to approach it isn't to say to the kindergarten class, okay, kids, take out your notebooks, and we're going to talk about the hypostatic union today. So if there's any questions after, let me know. You know, uh, you know people put their arm around my shoulder and say, you know, Pastor, I, you, perhaps your gift is not teaching children. And pretty soon I realized, by golly, you're right. I've never been a youth pastor. I've never been a children's teacher because it's not an age that works for me. Because I tried it, people fed back. And we discovered something, and we moved on. And I think that's the way it's supposed to work. Whatever you have, you bring to the table. And God will use it in his own way. And in the process, it will become evident when your gift is working. Because you'll see not just stuff getting done. Stuff getting done is a fine thing. But what you'll see is lives transformed. You'll see the light bulbs go on. You'll see people becoming more like Jesus because we've chosen to serve out of the gifts that God has given us. We begin by doing, and we end up by knowing. So, no one list that we can go to in the New Testament, which tells me the gifts are not, you don't need to know them to do them. Gifts are given for the common good, because, the, because we are the stewards of the manifold gifts of God, grace of God. And the purpose of the gift is to form Christ in us and each other's. And maybe the best way to do that is just get dirty and get busy and do something and then invite the feedback. Now, I remember one Christmas when uh, a new ministry employer, employer over me, a spiritual leader, gave us a Christmas gift. Now, the problem was he didn't take time to get to know us. So Christmas morning, we opened the gift, and there were three connected picture frames with the, with the title across the bottom, Our Grandkids, okay? Now, you need to know we have no children, right? So we have no grandkids. So in a way, the gift was not very appropriate at all. And Marie and I, almost, we didn't do this, but almost, I was tempted to thank him for the gift and then break out crying and through the tears say, we had just about gotten over this whole childless thing and it brought it all back to us, but don't worry, we'll be okay in time. Well, I didn't do that. 
But God gives us with tailor-made gifts that are perfect for us, for you, for him. So jump in. Just jump in. Volunteer to serve. Try a new thing. Invite feedback. Get on board with the next mission trip to Kenya. I don't know if I can say that, uh, Pastor, but, you know, um, stretch your faith and open your boundaries. You know, uh, you as a church have given Marie and I a gift of uh, some yen that we're taking to Japan when we go here in about a month and a half. Well, almost two months now, a month and a half. And I have to tell you, the first time I went to Japan, I was terrified. I didn't like Asian people, and I didn't like the food. Squiggly stuff that moves is not on my list of things to enjoy. Right now, if you gave me the opportunity, I would move there because I love him so much, and I love what Christ. He changed me because I gave my gift reluctantly to the common good. That's his speciality. And if you do that, you will be amazed what God can do in you and through you for his glory. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so very much that you teach us that we need one another in a, a way we don't always think about that you want to share grace with us, but it's through others. So, Lord, help us to always be obedient to when you prompt us to try something, when you prompt us to reach out, and then invite the feedback, and then learn from it and continue on, and then pretty soon we're going to discover we're more like Christ, the others are more like Christ. You, Father, have been gracious to let us man to, to let us uh, dispense, if you will, your grace. What a plan. What a plan. So, Father, thank you very much. Now we ask your blessing on the rest of this service in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Gary, uh, for sharing that message with us and uh, a good uh, a good reminder, we, we did spend a lot of time talking about how God has formed us. Um, that was almost a year ago, and um, I know that <clears throat> I need to revisit that and, uh, and, and consider how have I been using my gifts and uh, what, what have I been doing that maybe isn't within my giftedness that uh, somebody else is, is better shaped for. So uh, very uh, excellent. Um, Excellent timing, excellent message. Thank you. I do want to share a short story. Um, boy, I can't get into all of the uh, what what went on in the in, in the mission trip. I can tell you though that um, Lily is here, that Jacqueline is here, and that that I'm here, and that anybody who has any question about what did you do, why did you do it, <laughs> you know what, uh, what what's the what's the story here, we would be happy to answer your questions. And the short answer to that is um, there's a, a particular uh, people group in northern Kenya uh, where uh, they have been hearing and receiving the gospel and becoming disciples who make disciples. 
And we went there to encourage that, to meet with the leaders and, and encourage them, and also to learn what are the principles that they're applying there that, that could apply here, that things that we could learn and bring back. And all of those things happen. Here's a short story that I want to share. Uh, many of you use these prayer journals, whether the, the hard copy or online. And one of the things that we did while we were there is we found those, uh, th- those leaders uh, that are pictured in here, the, the five key leaders among that people group, that multiplying movement. And we read to them what our prayer was on that particular day. So uh, on the first day that we were interacting with their team leader, Sabaya, I approached him. Now, he doesn't speak any English, so we had uh, an, an interpreter who helped us out in, in having this conversation. And I, I opened up the prayer guide and showed him, we got your picture here. And, uh, and by the way, people loved that. Uh, they were so excited to see people that they recognized in here. Um, so I showed Sabaya, and I pointed out on January 15th, on Monday, Monday January 15th, people in, in our church were praying specifically for you on that day. Interpretation happened. And, and then I started reading my prayer for Sabaya, and he interrupted me, which I did not expect. Uh, but um, I, I thought, okay, he's got something to say. Sometimes that happens when there's some interpretation lag. And he pointed to the date. And he started speaking, and I had to wait for interpretation. He said, January 15th, that's the day that I took my little sister to boarding school, and the cost for tuition was 20,000 shillings. Now, shillings, uh, that sounds like a lot of shillings, but a shilling is basically like a penny. Um, 20,000 shillings, and I only had 10,000, but I went anyway. And when it was time to pay, and they said, that'll be 20,000 shillings, I said, I only have 10,000. And they said, that's okay. That'll do. Your bill is clear. Yeah. And he, so he's thanking God for this, not knowing that he had dozens of people praying for him. And then I continued to read my prayer for him. And, uh, and, and it, it, it became really profound and exciting when uh, I, I read these words that I had written down, uh, provide for all of Sabaya's needs. Uh, so for, for Sabaya, now if you can imagine, if he had said, I'm 10,000 shillings short, for my, my sister's tuition, uh, any one of us could have, uh, it, it, through certain channels, said, I'll cover that. I'll pay for that. I'll cover that cost. That would have been so much less profound than seeing God provide through the prayers of his people. I just, I just want you to consider that for a moment because this is something that was pointed out to us by people on the ground there 
where the temptation is Westerners provide for all their financial needs and then Westerners get to feel good about it. This was a situation where God got the glory, where we get to give him the glory, where we're reminded that prayer is powerful, where Sabiah gets to see he's connected to people around the world by the Spirit of God, and no check had to be written. God took care of it. So that's one story among many. And we're going to take a moment right now to, uh, to remember and to reflect on our unity with Christ and our unity with each other. Not only in this room, not only in this community, around the world, we are connected to disciples of Jesus. We are brothers and sisters, and that only is possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So we want to take some time to reflect and to remember. So we're going to give that to you right now, a couple of minutes to reflect, to remember that God loved the world so much he gave his son so that anyone who believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. He's a God who loves. He's a God who gives. He's a God who sent his son. So let's take time to reflect on that, to remember that, and then we'll reconnect and share communion together.
Paul the Apostle wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember how Jesus' body was broken so that our relationship with God could be repaired as we take the bread together. Paul continued, in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. So let's remember the blood Jesus shed for us as a payment for our sins once for all time as we take the cup together. Paul concludes, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, for your grace, and thank you for the reminder that your grace is, uh, is shown by your people to each other. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to be in union with you and for your amazing plan for us to be in unity with the rest of the body of Christ. We pray for you, God, to advance that unity, to protect and defend it, and and to lead us in doing the same so that the body of Christ will show the world the love of Christ, the good news across the street and around the world. For your glory, God. Amen. I encourage uh, you, if you're in the the chat, to uh, share with us what is God teaching you today? What are you willing to do about it? Who are you willing to share with? Because the transformation that happens uh, isn't just from hearing God's word, it's from putting it into practice. And the, uh, the, 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 the transformation happens not just from uh, listening to a message, it comes from the discussion that happens afterward. And what we're practicing here is uh, a spiritual discussion that happens around tables because there aren't enough stages, there aren't enough buildings in order to reach people who are far from God and far from the church in Marathon County. There are enough tables, though, and there are enough disciples of Jesus. So we're practicing here what we'll apply out there. So take a minute, a couple of minutes. In this room, we're sitting around tables. We'll have discussion around tables. If you're participating online, please uh, share with us your thoughts in the chat, and, and we'll hear. Uh, some of that discussion, uh, it will be shared with us in this room, and, uh, and, and we'll share 
with you some of what happens here uh, because we're in this together. So go into discussion. Next week, we start a new series that um, some of us can relate to. It's about our tendency to want to control things um, instead of letting go of that control. And it's, uh, it's going to be a, a, a really fun series uh, and also challenging. Um, so we're looking forward to connecting with you next week. And we'll let more stories about our experience in Kenya leak out over the next couple of weeks as well. So stay plugged into the community and uh, be part of the discussion. We'll catch up with you later.